you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, a bumpy trip to, well, nowhere. Despite a week of worry from the Fed, European banks, and the ripple effect from our regionals, the markets finished the week basically right where they started. So why, with all these worries, is Wall Street seemingly so unfazed? Plus, while Washington bashes China and TikTok, Apple CEO Tim Cook arrives in Beijing. From geopolitics to a stock surge, we'll look at how Apple seems to be the Teflon tech titan right now. And later, one shining moment for gold, the precious metal topping the $2,000 mark this week for the first time in more than a year. Stick around to hear why one of our traders thinks this can still be an 18, maybe even a 24-carat trade from here. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. We start off with the whipsaw action in the rates market. The two-year falling as low as 3.56% in early trade, hitting its lowest level since September before bouncing back. It closed the day down by just a few basis points. Longer-term yields also fell. The spread between the 10 and the two-year Treasury tighter than it's been since late October. Meantime, stocks eked out another day of gains. The S&P down a percent at its low finishing the day up more than a per- half a percent. The three major indices all managing to close out the week with gains. And take a look at bank stocks. Both the Money Center and regional banks, uh, those ETFs posting solid gains. Even Deutsche Bank down double digits in the pre-market closed well off the lows. So who would have thunk it? After all the volatility we saw this week, we'd end up right here where we are. Tim, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? We're within 3% of six-month highs on the S&P. We, yeah. We've seen the VIX collapse in the middle of all this. And who's right? Bonds or stocks? We do this all the time. I, the bond market is is always smarter. And, and I would just say those moves on the two-year are, are more troubling even than the move on the 10-year because they're really telling you how quickly you're going to see the short-end cave. And and you, you mentioned some of those moves today. We got to 368 on year-end Fed funds. Um, uh, so in other words, DEC, uh, 2000. 23 Fed funds. And, and at some point we were saying we were getting 85 to 90 basis points of, of kiting this year, which I, I know we talk about this. That's not necessarily gospel. It's more of a market sentiment, but it does tell you where the equity and bond dislocation is. I, I, I think that a 3% two year would be catastrophic for, for stocks. And I think that's where the chart says it may be going. I hate this move today. Um, I like the, the fact that the KRE was up 3%. I don't like the money set our banks down. I know we're going to talk a little more about Deutsche. And there's, I think there's more of a reason that the money Money center banks are under a little bit more of a cloud on some level now because of the concerns of what happened with Credit Suisse and, and, and you know, where those AT1 tier one bonds um, were completely wiped out. And it changes the story for some of these systemically important banks. In Europe, yeah. Yep. Um, Guy, what did you make of the action? I know that what concerns you the most here is the volatility, the moves that we've seen in the Treasury market. And certainly we've seen a lot this week. Without question, I mean, a 150 basis point move in two-year bonds over the course of maybe three weeks. I mean, these topped out at what 5.1 percent, and you saw what they traded down to today. And t- two's tens going from 110 basis points to 25 basis points in a similar manner of time. I mean, I don't think it's particularly healthy. And as offsides as some of these banks probably got themselves that led to Silicon Valley, I'm pretty certain that there are other banks that are offsides given this move as well. So I don't think we've seen the last of some of these headline announcements. And I'm with Tim on this one. You know, I understand the market is taking lower rates as a positive and you're seeing 
Again, some of these high-flying NASDAQ names going higher. But I think rates are going down does not portend, uh, you know, full speed ahead and all things are fine. I think it's actually a much different story. And Tim's right. If two years get down to 3%, man, I will tell you it's not for good reasons, Melms. Yeah. Um, Courtney, do you feel better or worse now versus a week ago? Better or worse now versus a week ago? Yeah, I mean, markets. I don't think when you look at all the banks, nothing has really changed. I think a lot of these banking issues are um, likely going to be contained, and I think you're going to continue to get some of these knee-jerk reactions. And I know today it's now with Deutsche Bank that people are worried about. But it really does not seem to be a larger issue with the banks, and I think we still contend that. But the general economy actually still looks like it's on good footing, and that's why the markets are still doing well here. Because with everything going on at the banks, it's just leading to more and more possibility that the Fed is likely going to pause or likely cut rates later this year. I think that's the bigger picture story what's happening, not necessarily the banks, which is what the headlines are focusing on right now. And I don't think that has changed in the last week, realistically. Yeah. What did Bullard say today? Huh. An 80% chance that financial stress has been contained. And he believes, and so, uh, you know, markets are pricing in a pivot, like actual cuts to start this calendar year. And we've got Bullard coming out saying, I'm going to raise my terminal rate at this point. And I see it going as high as five and three quarters percent because financial stress will be contained probably. And the Fed's going to go back to fighting inflation. What do you think? Yeah, I think everyone, you got to be very careful who you're listening to and what the motivation is behind it. I think everyone wants to be remembered for the person that, that uh, called it the right way. And especially when you're looking towards monetary policy, it gets a little muddy. But the market is pricing in 100 basis points of cuts. That is huge offsides for the overall market. If you look at the S&P, the S&P is still holding that 200-day moving average, closed above it today, but it ticked below it today as well. That makes me nervous. I don't like the little intraday breaks of the 200-day uh, moving average. And if you look at the long-term trend line, it's about a year old from the high to the low that we've seen in the S&P. The market is riding that downward now, Melissa. So it's, it's really looks like, if you want to use a technical term, it looks like a descending triangle. So for me, as I look at this market sort of fading, I think it still has to hold that 200-day before I get overtly negative on the overall market. But to agree with the rest of the desk, I don't think this is over yet. I think we're going to see more bank issues going forward. That's negative for the macro market. Well, it, it, by the way, three weeks we have bank earnings. So uh, I know it's a little much and we, we usually get a head start on earnings, but it, we will really be focused on a lot of different issues. And, and what I think is going on with the banks, and especially the European banks, and we don't need to get too deep in this, but again, Deutsche Bank is not only systemically in, important, it's, it's basically the Bundesbank at this point. And, and I think the concern is what you saw happen in Switzerland is something that could happen to any of these banks that really are nationalized banks. Like the government can say no matter what they want to say, they can say that. But Deutsche Bank made $6 billion last year. Credit Suisse lost $8 billion. Um, so I, I do think it's very different. I do think that the market is, is, is asking questions later. But we've seen, whether it was coming out of COVID, remember how badly the banks lagged when there was a little bit of an overhang about what was going on with Main Street? And I, I don't think you rectify this. And, and I think we're going to need earnings. We're going to need a lot more, even though I do think that the dynamic around confidence in banking deposits is something that, like social media, I mean, Deutsche Bank was alleging it was social media that was stirring up the pot on this. And that's crazy, except for the fact that maybe that is what was going on. Well, they redeemed an additional tier two subordinated bond yes. early, which in, 
in another time, that might have perceived, been perceived as a very different thing. Right. It might have been perceived as, okay, okay, they're going to raise some money. But in this environment, that's a terrible thing to say, Guy. And so um, between social media, between yeah. this, I mean, we saw the CDSs explode. I mean, this really feels, <laughs> this feels like we've been through this before. I mean, Deutsche yeah, we Bank, have. CDS and I, you is know, exploding. I'm, it's all I, too I've, familiar. Yeah. I feel extraordinarily bad for Deutsche Bank. I'm sorry that social media is the root cause of their problems. But if it's, in <laughs> fact, as good as they seem to think it is, maybe they should have announced a huge stock buyback today and say, hey, all you social media wahoos out there, guess what we're going to do? But no, they didn't do that. It's easy to blame certain things. I mean, the problems at Deutsche Bank, we were talking about that years ago. And again, you know, unravel their derivative book. And, and I'll use the term. I mean, there's a powder keg there for sure. So to Tim's point, Courtney's point, Steve's point, there are more chapters left in this story. Whether it's Deutsche Bank or no, I have no idea. But, you know, given the move in the bond market, I'm telling you, as offsides as people were and rate, rates going higher, they're equally offsides with this precipitous move over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, meantime, the Fed is out with new bank balance sheet data from the week Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. Steve Leisman's got all the details. Steve, what'd you see? Uh, deposits at U.S. banks, Melissa, in the days before and after the failure of Silicon Valley and signature banks fell by more than $100 billion for the biggest weekly ex exodus ever and on a percentage basis since the financial crisis. Deposits at all U.S. banks, well, they held steady at $16.3 trillion on an unadjusted seasonal basis. Deposit at large banks, this is just the 25 largest in the country. So notice that this does not include what happened with Silicon Valley Bank because if those deposits moved to a bigger bank, it would be inside this number. So that rose to $119 billion from 10, uh, to, to $10.8 trillion. But deposits at small banks, lower than the 25 biggest, they fell by $107 billion to $5.5 trillion. The report covers the days just before and just after the failure of SVB, which was the nation's 16th largest and the second biggest bank failure. Those failures, you remember, ignited fears among uninsured depositors. It's unclear if that exit has continued in the past week or if assurances from officials in the last week that, quote, deposits are safe has been enough to stop the flight. Now, deposits already had been on, you know, uh, for both large and small banks, they had been leaving in part because they've been slow to raise deposit rates. Meanwhile, the, Fed, the uh, Financial Stability Oversight Committee, they met. They said some institutions have come under bank under stress, but the banking industry overall remains strong and resilient. Melissa. All right, uh, Steve, I'm, I'm curious, when is the next batch of data on this out? Is every two weeks or so? No, it's every week. It's just That's a week, week lag. So yesterday we got the uh, uh, statement of the Fed's balance sheet. That's mm -hmm. current as of this past Wednesday. That comes out on Thursday. But on Friday, we get a week lag on the banking data. And by the way, I, I should mention, Melissa, there were a lot of footnotes in this data. It looks like it, there was some issues relative to collecting it. So uh, take it with a grain of salt. But I think the idea of what happened uh, overall makes sense. The magnitude may be plus or minus um, in terms of the actual magnitude. But, but uh, the idea that money left small banks and went into larger banks, right. I think that's probably the right call. Yeah. Steve, thanks, Steve Leisman, and that's certainly what we heard anecdotally from from the bigger banks guy. And I guess the, the key, you know, it's interesting how far we were talking about rate volatility, how far um, the tenure has fallen since that time, actually. And so at the moment, there was a question as to whether or not those deposits would actually stick or be swept into treasuries. Mm -hmm. But now maybe the competition is a little bit less between an actual just <laughs> deposit and a treasury. 
Yeah, all based on, to your point, all based on the moves we're seeing in interest rates. And I rail against the Fed all the time. I will tell you, though, and I think Steve would have said this and would agree, everything we're seeing over the last couple of weeks, that's why the Fed was set up in the first place, to be able to come in and step into situations like this. So frankly, they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing, and the system is working like it's supposed to be working. The problem is, obviously, you know, everything leading up to this has created some of the problems we're seeing. And I think, it just as my opinion, I think it's foolish to think we're through this already. You know, I think there are many chapters left to be written. Steve, did you get back into any of the regionals? Because you had played them for some quick trades, Key Corp and First Republic, briefly, I believe. I, I didn't get back. In other words, I went into uh, the Wells analyst, got me into First Horizons with his, uh, with his upgrade today. So I, it, it stock trades around $16. And they're looking for that takeout. TD Bank still taking them out, still stands at $25. So I got pulled into that one. Uh, we'll see how short-term that trade uh, lasts. All right. Coming up, buyers remorse ahead for Apple. Shares posting their highest close since September. But the chartmaster thinks the shine may be about to come off. He makes his case next. Plus, a winning week for one precious metal. A look at whether a golden era is just starting. Mm. More Fast Money is next. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple CEO Tim Cook posting this photo on his Weibo account from Beijing ahead of the China Development Forum this weekend. More than 50 global chief executives and Chinese officials are expected to attend the conference amid rising tensions between China and the U.S. But Apple has not confirmed to CNBC whether Cook is among that group. Meantime, Apple shares were up again today, posting their highest close since September. The chartmaster, however, has been beating the drum for a drop in this tech stock. Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting joins us now. Carter, what do you see? Yeah, I just don't see what the upside is. This is, look, this is the what I would call the face of fear. We put out a note to that effect. And what you have, of course, and, and, it's, and it's good technique, actually, and anyone schooled in the business, so-called, if that means an MBA or a CFA or a CPA or some nice acronym, when things are dodgy and you're concerned about the economy and things that are cyclical, you hide, you rotate into either classic safety names, otherwise referred to soap and cereal, soup makers and uh, detergent makers, or you go into idiosyncratic growth. And we're seeing that, that's Microsoft, that's Apple. And Apple is just a recipient of a whole lot of money and rotation as people abandon banks and abandon energy. And so does that make this a good thing? 
okay, it's doing better, but look at this chart that's just appeared on the screen. There's a very well-defined trend line, yes. And it's bounced off that trend line since the O2 low perfectly, and it did it yet again. Um, but the here and now is not particularly interesting. Um, in fact, uh, it, it gets into that, um, maybe why bother? Consider this, there's some 46 analysts that cover it. My goodness, I can probably myself only name 20 brokerage firms. And the collective price target <laughs> one year hence, one year hence is, is up 6%, really? Uh, that's not inspiring. Uh, I just don't think there's any great, no, does it mean, okay, this is a great short, uh, not particularly, but I don't see I don't see the case. If that's the best we can do here, look at this chart. What about that says anything other than I'm, I don't know, I'm in a range, I'm, I'm wandering, yeah, I'm doing better than other things now. But the final chart we have, and this is telling, this is a ratio chart. It depicts Apple's relative performance to the XLK, to the tech sector. Uh, it's, it's, it's rolled over. Apple is actually underperforming other choices one could make uh, within the S&P 500 technology sector. Carter, I, I would like to ask you a question about that first chart that you had up, and that is with the trend line. And I'm wondering, has it actually broken that trend line? Because the past couple of times, I'm wondering if you thought that it would break then and then actually bounce. Because Apple bulls are probably looking at this chart saying, but Carter, but Carter, look, it's holding the trend line. It's going to bounce just like it did before three times. Yeah, it undercut ever so slightly. Mm -hmm. And so that's encouraging for those of us who aren't that uh, sort of bulled up on Apple. And, and it's managed to get back above that trend line. So in 100 magnification, you'll see that it actually undercut that line and now is back above it. All right. Carter, we'll see you shortly in Options Action. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Uh, Courtney, where do you stand on, on Apple? I mean, the chart, he makes the. I, I, I think he might have even have implied Paratus. Um, from that chart. I know. He didn't say he, it, he didn't but say it because I've been Paratus. calling out his usage of pair of twos, which has been very heavy lately. But it, it's, um, it says so much. But Apple. <laughs> yeah, and I understand because basically people are flocking to this to safety, right? Because it has been such a great performer for the last decade. And there are positives about Apple. I mean, it is a great company. They have a lot of cash on their balance sheet. They're about $54 billion currently. But I still can't justify how high of the valuation is right now. Even if rates come down, I don't think it justifies 25 times next year's earnings. So it's not something that I'd be rushing into, especially as a safety trade right now. I just I often say to people, don't cut your flowers and keep your weeds. And our Apple is absolutely a flower. But after this run and its defensiveness in this market, that's what it's been. And I think it's 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 again, I've been more tactical on the market overall. But with Apple uh, and I, people hate me for this, but I, I think the stock needs to trade lower for the market to actually find its, its proper so place. Cut a flower now. So, uh, well, I mean, look, uh, I, I, and I would put it in a vase and hand it to my wife, of course. But, but no, I, I think this is a flower you would cut. There's plenty of weeds I would also right. cut, but this is a this is a flower to cut. Um, do you use your tractor to cut that flower? Uh, no, the flower would stop. The, 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 the tractor would stop the flower. No, I take I take out my shears and I'd cut it. And Very gently. Okay. All right. I as I do. Just curious. As I you do. Know, Tim has a tractor. Yep. Uh, coming up, gold glittering this month, and our guy Dobby thinks the sparkle is only getting started. He makes the case for the precious metal next. And throughout March, we are celebrating Women's Heritage. Here's the CEO of Heineken USA. Whether male or female, in an, any room, I think allyship is really important. And allyship is that someone is advocating on your behalf when you're not in the room. And I think women, we need to step up and do that more, not only for the people that we know, 
and care about that work together with us, whether they be it male or female. So I think allyship is something that I, I take to my heart and take it very personally to ensure that I am the voice of the others who are not in the room. Welcome back to Fast Money. Gold on the go. The precious metal trading above the 2000 mark this week. It is now up more than 8% this year. Guy, you know, the crack staff in EC watching your tweets as they oh. always do. And you tweet that you think this is just the beginning of the move higher. Hmm. How I much do, higher? Melms. And I think there, there are other people on this desk that would agree. I think significantly higher. I'll give you a few reasons why. I mean, I think obviously this bond volatility. I think all, re all roads lead to gold on the back of this. I mean, to a certain extent, um, the bull case for gold is exactly what we're seeing now. Couple that with bank failures, and that's one. Number two, everybody might be bullish gold, but I don't think the market is long gold. And that sounds nuanced. It's not intended to be. The hedge funds out there will start getting long gold, but it'll be from significantly higher levels when their systems kick in. They have not kicked in yet. And last year, if you think about this, central banks bought 1,136 tons of gold, $70 billion worth of gold, most since 1950. Gold demand globally is now over 4,000 tons, the most we've seen since 2011. So effectively what's happening here, central banks are hedging their own ineptitude, which I love. And if you want to make a bumper sticker, as Dan Nathan would say, have at it, people. Um, is the G in lags, is that gold? It sure, it's, it's actually, I, I'm going to call it GDX just because I, I, if I'm long gold, I want to be long the gold miners who have underperformed gold. They have lagged the yellow metal. And, and I, I'm, I'm with Guy. I'm with Guy on this for, for some of the same reasons. And I'll just throw in, I, I think it wasn't just a, an 18-month move in the dollar from May of 21 to October of 22. I think it was an 11-year run in the dollar that I think has largely peaked. This is very good for gold. Uh, triple top here at 2000 going through it. I feel like gold for all these reasons. Do you like GDX? Grosso, do you like Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin, I think there's too much regulation, uh, you know, uh, in, in, the, uh, in front of Bitcoin. But if you look at gold, all the stats that that guy said, they also pre uh, predicted that 2023, there's going to be less buy buyers of gold. I don't agree with that. If you look at the reasons why Tim named the dollar, guy named interest rates, Central banks are diversifying away from treasuries, from the dollar. That means they're going to buy even more gold. Geopolitical concerns. Look at what just happened in Syria. So you, you're going to see more and more buyers. I agree with Tim. If, you are, if you're bullish on gold, you've got to be bullish on the miners. For the last month, they outperformed the metal. But for, the, for a year, they're down drastically. So if you're looking for that catch-up trade, GDX. All right. It is time now for the final trade for this Friday. Let's go around the horn. Guy Adami. Big week next week, Mel. I'm so happy you're with us. It's going to be fascinating. Amgen, A-M-G-N, double bottom. That was sarcasm, by the way, folks. Uh, Steve Grasso. I said it before, First Horizon uh, and the, uh, the analyst, the Wells analyst, said that standalone, the stock is worth $18. And if that TD bank, that pending takeover takes place, it's a $25 price target upside. First Horizon. Courtney. MLPX, uh, energy infrastructure is actually pricing, prices coming down, but I don't think that demand is going to go away this year. I think you want to take this as an opportunity. Tim Seymour. Going to miss you next week, Mel. Walmart, not going to miss that one. You can play this one. Great investor day. That does it for us here on Fast, but don't go anywhere. We still got options action up next.
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.